Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to episode 266 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and the Ring Digital YouTube channel, where you are watching me live right now. As always, I remind you guys, make sure you're subscribed and make sure you click on the notification bell so that you never miss a live video of TNC. And of course, the audio version is available on Montero Unboxings. Uh, podcast platforms around the world that will be released tomorrow. So every Monday, we go live here on Ring Digital's YouTube channel. Every Tuesday, you guys get the audio versions if that's what you prefer. Again, this is two, uh, episode 266 for the week of May 15th. And uh, not a whole lot going on on the schedule this weekend, but we got a lot to discuss because we had a major, major event uh, last week. Uh, this event broke through, man. Canelo and Saunders broke through to the mainstream sports media. Uh, it trended on social media. The, the mainstream sports platforms were talking about it. I saw like Barstool Sports, Outkick, you know, uh, brands like that talking about this fight. And then, of course, 73,000 in attendance. It set the record for the United States, an indoor boxing event in the United States. That's a big deal, man. That's a very big deal. And my tweets... A handful of them triggered people around the world. So we'll talk about some of that. And Canelo Alvarez absolutely brutalized Demetrius Andre in the post-fight press conference. I'm going to play some video for you guys because uh, it's just awesome. It's just freaking awesome. But before we go there, I wanted to show you guys new issue of Ring Magazine. And uh, the July issue is out, and it is dedicated to the great Sugar Ray Robinson. So this is another special uh, feature issue. Of course, we, uh, we're following, you know, this one is a follow-up to the Marvin Hagler issue, which was outstanding. And um, the coolest part about these is just the history, man. But with Ray Robinson, check this out. Uh, hopefully I can get this on the screen. But um, look at all these past uh, issues with Sugar Ray Robinson on the cover. Uh, guys, this goes back to the 40s, of course. You know, you got 40s, you got 50s here. So I, I just love the history of these uh, special issues. And they always sell well, man, not just in the United States, but they sell well, very, very well globally. There are a lot of people in different parts of the uh, world that will pick up three, four, five issues of these magazines because they really do become collector's items and people want to give them to their kids, their grandkids. And that sort of thing. So make sure you guys check out the July issue dedicated to the great Ray Robinson. You guys won't regret it. All right. So I wanted to get that out there. We got a bunch of people here already on the chat. I'm sure you guys are going to want to call in and talk about what we saw uh, last Saturday. It hasn't even been 48 hours, man. That was that was a hell of an event in Arlington, Texas. So uh, you guys, you see the numbers behind me. Whoop, 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 whoop. Right here, <laughs> I'm looking at myself and everything's backwards. That's why my hands always go in the wrong direction when I'm pointing at stuff. Because, uh, you know, the camera, you guys get it. So anyway, there's the toll-free number for the United States and the UK if you guys want to get in on the phones. But let me go ahead and jump right into news and notes, man. Um, so the pay-per-view on Fox between Andy Ruiz Jr. and Chris Ariola sold right around 120,000 buys. There are uh, some reports out there that are saying as much as 150,000. Those are not accurate reports. From what I'm hearing from my sources, this did right around 120,000. 
Uh, Mike Coppinger tweeted about this, and he's kind of become the, and this is no knock on, on cop at all, uh, but he's Mr. Sources, right? And he's kind of become the actual source for pay-per-view numbers for a lot of sites. Uh, Mike Coppinger will tweet something. And literally all he says is, and again, this ain't a knock on cop because I get what he does and why he does it the way he does it. But he'll say, hey, per sources, this pay-per-view did X amount of buys. And he's not the only one. Uh, Kevin Ioli will do this. There's a few guys that do this. There's only a handful of them that actually do it. And what happens is there are several news sites like uh, Bad Left Hook does this all the time, but they're not the only ones and I'm not dissing them. Ring has done it. Ring TV's done it. And I don't approve and I never post stories like this. But they will take a tweet and use that as a source, and they will use, they will source the tweet in an article, and they'll post it and say, per a tweet by Mike Coppinger, the Ruiz Areola pay-per-view does 150,000 buys. And all Cop's tweet says is, sources. He doesn't say where he's getting this data from. There's It's not substantiated with anything. Uh, there's no data there. There's no confirmation of this. It's not factual. It's just per sources. Well, Per my sources, it did 120,000 pay-per-view buys. And whenever, generally speaking, whenever COP and Ioli report something, you can kind of shave off a third of that as far as the actual legitimate numbers. Now, there are some people that will cut the number in half or, you know, by by two-thirds. Like, that that's too much. You shave off about a third of it. Uh, you know, those numbers get a little bit exaggerated by guys that want to keep access and keep getting certain jobs and everything. And again, no knock to them. They're doing their thing. It's what they do. I get it. But... Um, yeah, 150,000, I'm hearing closer to 120,000. Now, what's crazy to me is that there are people out there defending this number and saying that this was a big success and 120,000 buys, wow, in this cord-cutting era, in the post-outbreak uh, of COVID era, this is big. And I'm thinking, what? What What are you people smoking? 10 years ago, if a pay-per-view show did 120,000 buys that was a colossal failure. And the arguments you used to see on social media and among boxing writers and stuff a decade ago is it was, well, I heard this fight did 1.5 mil. Well, I heard it did 1.2 mil. And you're arguing about hundreds of thousands of buys, right? But now people will literally argue over, ah, oh, damn it, my phone's dropped again. It keeps doing this. I'll have to get the phones back up, guys. Give me a minute. But uh, people argue between, 110 and 120. They're arguing over 10,000 pay-per-view buys. And I'm looking at that thinking, who gives a shit? It's not, that's not a good buy rate. And I tweeted about this today. Ruiz Ariola doing a buck 20. Remember, this had the reduced price tag, which I do think helped sales. Without that, it probably would have did closer to 80,000. But this isn't a huge success. And the um, the, the pay-per-view model really is a dinosaur. And I understand that pay-per-view is always going to be part of boxing, right? Pay-per-view is always going to be part of boxing uh, to a certain extent. But let's be honest, guys, there are maybe five fighters in the world that warrant pay-per-view, right? Most of the guys fighting on pay-per-view these days do not, they don't rate pay-per-view. They're not pay-per-view fighters. They wouldn't have been pay-per-view fighters 10, 20 years ago. We can all admit this, right? There's only a handful of guys that really warrant that. So what you have is a bunch of guys that their promoters and the people involved in their careers want to get them paid, right? Which I understand. You sign these guys to these contracts and you make promises as a promoter, as a network, a platform, 
and you say, I can get you X amount of dollars, you know, a guaranteed purse for every fight. If you fight this level of opponent, I can get you this much money, et cetera, et cetera. What happens is these guys are pinned into a corner, these promoters and these fighters. Some of them want to just stay busy and fight. But most fighters these days say, nah, man, you promised this amount. And you said, if I fight a unification fight or this level of fight or whatever, you're going to up it to this amount. You got to go pay-per-view. Because even though a lot of people are not buying these pay-per-views, there is a certain amount of money that comes with them. Even if 100,000 people buy them, even if it's half of that, that brings in a certain amount of money. It keeps the networks happy because they eat well off of it. Uh, they're taking a huge chunk of the pay-per-view sales, that revenue up front, the uh, the gross revenue, of course. And then there are, generally speaking, uh, if the, the casino's involved, there's casino buy-in. There's foreign TV money if it's a British fighter, a Mexican fighter, an Eastern European fighter, a Japanese fighter, whatever. That brings in some foreign money. So th- there's a formula here that still kind of works where you can do these pay-per-view shows that are really selling about 100, maybe 150,000 pay-per-view buys. I mean, these Errol Spence and Gervonta Davis pay-per-views that are being reported at 300, 350, they're maybe do Errol's maybe doing a quarter mil. Gervonta Davis didn't break 200,000. The, the Charlo uh, pay-per-view, I don't even know if that cracked 100,000, okay? That's the reality of where we're at. Now, I get it. There's a lot of people streaming these, these fights, these pay-per-views, and that web traffic can generate revenue. So there is money on the back end sometimes as it relates to streaming and all those things, even illegal streaming, there is some revenue in the form of web traffic, social media traffic. There's ways with ad revenue to make some money there, but they haven't mastered it yet. And the pay-per-view model as it's being used right now, as it's being utilized in this sport, particularly, I'm going to talk United States pay-per-view, okay? I understand you guys have a bunch of them in the UK. That's a, It's built differently. I'm talking American pay-per-view. It's primarily a PBC thing. I'm not going to get into this big anti-PBC rant, but every single major pay-per-view post-COVID outbreak has been from PBC. There's been a few other small ones by some other uh, mid-level you know, club promoters and stuff, but all the major pay-per-views have been through PBC. And the majority of pay-per-views in America the last two, three years have been through PBC. That model is not sustainable 10, 20 years down the road. It's just not. We are in the last age, the the last years, the vestiges, the last vestiges of the pay-per-view model as people know it and understand it as it's been in boxing for the last 20 or so years. It's hanging on by a thread. It's not sustainable if you want to build up fighters in the next generation here in the United States. Uh, If you want guys to break through and be superstars, right? If you want to see what Canelo Alvarez did this weekend, if you want to see that with American fighters, you know, last one to do that was Floyd Mayweather. He pulled that bait and switch with with the Pacquiao pay-per-view and everything else. To do that, to get to that level again, you got to change up the model, guys. You got to find a way to tap into what Triller is doing. Triller's doing pay-per-views, and I don't know if their model is sustainable 10 years down the road, but at least they're tapping into streaming and and apps and things like that, that that young people use. You're watching this podcast right now on an app. That is the future. DAZN is tapping into that. ESPN Plus is tapping into that. Maybe not in a pay-per-view sense, but they're tapping into that world. And I think that uh, the pay-per-view model right now is is, is blowing up. Uh, not in a good way. I mean, blowing up like destroying. And people got to find a solution that works. 
So Ruiz Ariola, you know, that's enough pay-per-view buys to get those guys paid for what it was, but that's not, this isn't a sustainable model. And we can only, you know, it, it used to be that these numbers were reliably reported. Now they are reported through a tweet through from Mike Coppinger or Kevin Ioli, and they're not really naming data sources or anything like that. They're just saying, per a guy I know, and that's all I'm doing, by the way, same thing here. It's just my tweet isn't used as a news source, okay? There's only two or three guys. These tweets are used as a news source on boxing sites. Uh, and even me, I'm not giving you guys any data. I'm just telling you what the network executive told me, okay? And keep in mind, Unlike Kevin Ioli and Mike Coppinger, I actually worked in Hollywood. I know network executives. So I got people that work in that business at a high level that I'm friends with. They tell me stuff. That's all I can say. I can't give you guys any data. All right. So take it for what it is. All right. Um, I want to get into the the Canelo stuff. And of course, we'll talk about the big fight and everything else. But I just thought I wanted to kind of include this on news and notes. I wanted to talk about Canelo post-fight press conference, speaking English, slaughtering Demetrius Andre. I'm going to play you guys some video. And then I wanted to show you some of my tweets because I had a few tweets go viral this weekend, which is awesome. I got a bunch of followers in the last few weeks uh, as it relates to this fight. The Canelo, again, I can look at the trending, uh, the analysis of just my Twitter account as it relates to the Canelo Saunders hashtag. I can look at tweet impressions and I can see this thing broke through. It absolutely broke through, but I'm going to share my screen here. I want to show you um, a video that my man Ishay Smith shared. Uh, I love Ishay. He's an awesome guy. We need to have him on the show. But um, here, now, if you guys can't hear this video, let me know. But this is uh, just some snippets of uh, the post-fight press conference where Demetrius Andre crashed the party, as he has done multiple times. I remember being in Los Angeles covering the Charlo Williams fight. And uh, post-fight press conference right there in L.A. I think that was at the Galen Center. And uh, Andre crashed that press conference. He's done this numerous times. This is nothing new. And it's kind of getting old. And Canelo has finally had it. And he just kind of let it rip. Check this out. And again, if you guys can't hear this, let me know. Oh, you guys can't hear it? Okay, okay, okay. Shit. All right. Oh, that's such a shame. All right, I should have downloaded this. Damn it. All right, so I'm sorry you guys can't hear this. Um, well, I'll have to make a video about it or something on my channel. Sorry that you guys couldn't hear that. Uh, I wonder if in the audio you, you guys will be able to hear it. But um, anyway, basically, Demetrius Andre crashed the party and started talking trash to Canelo saying, hey, man, when are you going to fight me? When are you going to fight me? You're ducking me, blah, blah, blah. And Canelo basically said, man, you haven't fought anybody. And he started kind of pragmatic. He was just saying, like, you haven't fought anybody, dude. You, you're a champion, but you haven't fought nobody. And then uh, I think it was uh, Demetrius Andre's dad, yeah. Um, Shafia Ahmed in the chat says, Boo Boo's dad messed it up. <laughs> he says it was going smooth. Yeah, um, he um, just people related to Andre started kind of getting, you know, amped up and stuff. And so it, it started to piss Canelo off and he got to a point where, you know, part of my language, some of you guys out there, but he, he, he kept saying, get the fuck out of here, man. Get the fuck out of here, man. And he said it multiple times. And then he got to a point where he said, um, get, get the fuck out of here, man. I'm going to fuck you up right now. I mean, he was telling them like, I will fuck you up right now. 
And then he he just dissed the dude's resume. And and then at one point, I don't know if it was Andre or somebody else said uh, th- they questioned Canelo's resume. Who are you fighting? And Canelo kind of laughed at that because it was basically like, how are you saying that to me, bro? And um, that was pretty much it. I just thought it was great that Canelo opened up and he's been opening up. And, and this is something that a few of you guys on Twitter have talked about because, you know, he he's had. Um, can you guys hear me? Some of you guys are saying no audio. Can you actually hear me? Hopefully you can hear me. Uh, let me know, guys. Let me know in the chat if you can hear me. Because <clears throat> some of these comments are coming through saying no audio, and maybe that's just um, just the comments are coming through uh, late. Okay, you guys can hear me. All right, all right. So um, j- just back to Canelo. He's opening up a little bit more. He's speaking more English. And he's actually spoken English for years, right? Because if you could get Canelo off camera, when the cameras weren't around, he would speak English and he would talk shit. He's talked all kinds of shit in Spanish for years. But when the cameras came on, he's been this notoriously dull interview because he kept everything very stoic. He would not uh, open up and give you a lot of personality. He wouldn't talk shit. But again, if you've ever been with him in the gym, you turn the cameras off, he's completely different, right? So he was putting on this professional image. Since he has signed with Eddie Hearn, now I don't know if it's just Canelo coming into his own. He's a grown-ass man now. He's the top dude in the sport. I think he really feels it now. Uh, he's he's moved on from the Gennady Golovkin thing where he was getting a lot of criticism, and now he's kind of you know doing his thing and he's being active, and he's clearly the guy, right? So I don't know if it's just that, or I don't know if it's Eddie Hearn saying, dude, let your personality fly, speak some English and talk some trash and have some fun. Maybe it's a combination of both, but whatever it is, he's living a little. He's, he really does seem to be enjoying his moment at the top. And it's fun to see because this clip with Demetrius Andre, with which I, I would assume most of you guys have already seen it. I've tweeted it. I've posted it on my Instagram, my Facebook. Um, that is the kind of stuff. Oh yeah. John Uden on the chat reminded me, um, you're a horrible fighter, man. Horrible fighter. Horrible fighter. He, he kept over and over. You're a horrible fighter, man. Horrible fighter. You know, he's the hard H. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty awesome. It's just that is the kind of stuff that is going to, I'm not going to say cross over to everybody. Some people won't like it, but it's going to endear him to a lot of casual sports fans. It's going to endear him to people that maybe wouldn't pay attention if he was only speaking Spanish. And the guys, that's just the way it is. If I move to China tomorrow and try to get involved in the Chinese boxing media, I better learn Mandarin. I better start speaking some Mandarin because that's going to endear me to more of the, the population there, right? Although a lot of people in China, particularly in the big cities, they do speak English, but if I learn Mandarin and start speaking it, that's going to only uh, increase my profile if I move to China tomorrow, right? So it's the same thing with Canelo. And um, I love that he's he's seemingly comfortable doing it now. And this is the kind of stuff that's going to really, really help him, I think, break through even more. And um, I, I just, I don't know how Demetrius Andrade, it goes, it goes on from here because Here's the difference. Like we've seen plenty of fighters 
crash press conferences to try to get uh, a fight. We've There's a million examples of this, right? And it's worked for a lot of guys. It really, really has. But the difference is Andre ain't doing shit in the ring that, that's getting anybody interested. Now, I've talked about this a million times, and, and, and I'll bring up the Triple G example. I know it drives some of you nuts because you're like, oh, not Triple G again. But it's it's the most recent example I can give you of a dude who had to start from the bottom and endeared himself to fans by working with the media and working with the fans, but also just being active, getting in the ring and fighting. And nobody is saying that Triple G in 2012, 2013 was fighting you know, all-time great level fighters. He was fighting some decent, solid top 10 guys here and there, but it was mostly like that B level, right? That the, the, the perennial contender level, a lot of those guys, but he was destroying them and he was fighting for short money. He was not in the casinos. He was in regular venues, right? Whether it be New York or LA, the two biggest markets in the country, endearing himself to fans in those big media markets. And it worked, man. Eventually, he created enough demand where he got the Canelo fight. He got the big, big fight. That's the way to do it. That's the right way to do it if you're being avoided. And Andre, you know, he is being avoided. I'm not going to say he's being ducked, but he is being avoided because nobody wants to fight the guy. Now, is it because they're scared? Is it because they're scared shitless because Andre's knocking everybody out? No, it's because the guy brings nothing to the table. Even Canelo just fought Billy Joe Saunders, right? And, and of course, Canelo wants to unify 168. That's something I'll talk about in a minute too. But even if Saunders didn't have that title, Saunders still brought more to the table in foreign TV money and everything that comes with that. You know, on a global basis, he brought more to the table than Andre. Andre brings nothing to the table, dude. And you're trying to get fights by going to fighters' press conferences, interrupting their big night, their big moment. And this was a big moment for Canelo. This was a, a major uh, event that commercially broke through. This was Canelo's moment. And you go there and ruin it, and you try to crash it. And it wasn't just, I get it, it might have been Boo Boo's dad more than Boo Boo himself. I get it. But just the whole act has gotten old, dude. You've been doing this for like five years. Meanwhile, how many fights does Andre have? I'm going to I'm gonna look up this guy's resume real quick. You guys are just going to have to bear with me because I just, I just want to drive this point home. And this isn't me bashing Demetrius Andre. I think he's a quality fighter. But he's got 30 fights, guys. He's 33 years old. He went pro in 2008, dude. He went pro in 2008. He is a 13-year pro. He is in his 14th year as a pro, and he's got 30 fights, dude. And most of those fights were when he was a prospect, right? He was fighting more often. I mean, fought once last year. He did fight twice in 2019, but once in 2018. Twice in 2017, once in 2016, once in 2015, once in 2014. I can keep going. So for the last decade almost, this dude's been fighting once or twice a year. And he's not going in there and, and just destroying guys at the level that he's fighting. He should be destroying them if he really is this special fighter. He's not creating demand. He thinks going to a press conference and talking some shit on social media is going to create demand. It ain't working, my man. Switch up tactics. I think Canelo destroyed Andre here, and I don't think we're going to see him crash any more press conferences because, yes, I'm talking about him right now, but I'm not talking about him in a way that's going to drum up interest for a fight. I'm talking about him in a way 
that shows that he pretty much got punked by the top dude in the sport right now. And Canelo even said during that rant, he said, you're not getting the fight, dude. You're a horrible fighter. And he said that over and over and over. Also, uh, I saw a mashup video on Instagram. This dude took uh, Canelo's, get the fuck out of here. And he, he mashed it up with a bunch of, get the fuck out of here, clips from The Sopranos. And he put them together back to back. Spectacular. Uh, just amazing video. Canelo's, get the fuck out of here. It's kind of half Italian, half Tony Montana, Cuban. <laughs> it's like right in the middle. It, it was awesome, dude. It was just awesome. Okay, let me get to some tweets real quick because uh, – Boy, did some of my tweets trigger you guys this weekend. Some of you are just so, so sensitive. Uh, Let's see. Okay, here's one that really broke through. That really, really upset some of you. Let me, uh, I'm not going to read. Well, you know what? I'll read it real quick. Quite reasonable for a legitimately injured fighter to retire from a bout. However, BGS should have remained in the ring, given a post-fight interview. Running out the way he did, especially after all the shit talk and criticism of other fighters, was a bad look. So, I tweeted this on May 9th, uh, what, yesterday? And in 24 hours or so, this thing went nuts. So, if I look here at the tweet activity, right now this thing is 320,000 impressions, okay? 23,000, almost 24,000 total engagements. So, there are people... All over, uh, and most people agreed with with this tweet and understood what I was saying and what I was not saying. But some people added their own context, and some people just couldn't help themselves and took it as me beating up on Billy Joe Saunders and saying that he quit. I never used that word. In fact, it says right here in the tweet that um, it's okay for him to retire if you're, if he's injured. And I said that in several other tweets. But my main thing is, guys. If it was me, okay, even if Billy Joe Saunders was in excruciating pain and lost vision in the eye and and was really seriously concerned that he could go blind or something, dude, jet out of the ring, run, okay? Get carried out in a stretcher if you need to and go straight to the hospital. I get all that. Have one member of your team, your chief second, somebody, stay behind in the ring or stay in the locker room and give a post-fight interview to the zone. Uh, commentary crew have them stick around in the ring and do the post-fight interview right there uh talk to eddie heard something so that in the immediate aftermath after the fight i'm talking i'm not talking an hour later i'm talking minutes later we have an explanation as to what the hell happened because for hours after this there were a lot of people assuming that billy joe saunders wanted to stop the fight. Then there were people saying his team wanted to stop the fight. There were even tweets I saw out there saying the doctor stopped the fight. All this speculation. Now, the DAZN commentary crew, I thought, could have did a little bit better digging and investigating. They could have got somebody to the locker room. And if they did, guys, correct me, because maybe I just missed that, okay? But from what I saw, they didn't get that information. And when you leave everything up to speculation, that's where all sorts of the nasty stuff happens on social. And nasty things are going to happen on social regardless. So this tweet right here, uh, I, you know, again, 90% of the reaction was good. But that 10%, boy... I, I got really, really beat up by some of you guys. And all I can really do is laugh at the shit. Uh, but that one really drove some of you nuts. I want, I want to make a point uh, that, again, I want to make sure I drive this home, okay? Man, there's nothing wrong with retiring on your stool. And it, as much as I saw, I got to call both sides of this out. As much as I saw some UK fans, some uh, Saunders fans, 
being overly protective of their guy and and criticizing anybody who questioned the way Billy Joe Sanders and his team handled this and just go, you know, not being objective at all. As much as I saw of that, there were fans on the other side, Mexican fans, Mexican-American fans beating the shit out of Billy Joe Saunders and posting uh, uh, tweets of fighters with busted eyes who kept fighting. And I retweeted some of those just to troll because I saw some of that. And I was like, you guys are going a little too hard. You need to chill, show some class. So as, as usual, both extremes too much. Okay. Provide some nuance and some information and stay somewhere in the middle and be objective in your opinion. That's what I try to do. Uh, and people, all I'm saying is if I were Saunders or if I were a member of Saunders team, okay, let, forget that. Let's just say I'm a member of his team as he's coming out of the ring. I'd be like, you know, hey, you stay in there. Let them know what's going on. We're taking him to the hospital. He can't see out of his eye, blah, 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 blah. Let them know so that they're good. All right. And and we'll give an update from the hospital. We'll send a tweet, whatever, whatever. And then you go off and, and do what you got to do. Uh, that's how I would have handled it. But that's just me. All I'm saying is Billy Joe Saunders has talked a lot of shit about other fighters. Daniel Dubois had a very similar injury, right? And Billy Joe Saunders really, really criticized the guy. His countrymen really, really beat him up. Young kid, just started out. You know what I'm saying? He wasn't getting paid what Billy Joe Saunders got paid uh, against Canelo. Dubois wasn't getting that against Joyce. He was getting a fraction of that. So so he he retired. He stopped the fight. And Billy Joe beat him up. And, and Billy Joe has said all kinds of crazy shit about a lot of different people and done and said some crazy things. Over the years, he's a polarizing figure. If you have all that baggage coming in, it's no different than Deontay Wilder. And then you come in and you do something like this, you're going to get beat up, bro. That's just how it works. If Deontay Wilder deserves some criticism, and I'm not comparing Wilder and Saunders exactly. Okay, there's some parallels here, but there's stark differences. All right. All I'm saying is there are wilder protectors out there who get upset if you criticize the guy and just bring up facts and just bring up things he said and then compare it to things he's done uh, in and out of the ring. Same thing with Saunders here. Let's be objective. If one guy can get the criticism, another guy deserves it too, all right? Let's be fair across the board. One other tweet I want to share with you guys, and then uh, I see some super chats that I got to get to. Um, Here's another one that, oh, my God, some of you got so triggered. So triggered. Floyd Mayweather was a genius for fighting Canelo Alvarez when he did. Might have been the smartest move of his entire career. Now, I tweeted that. I want to say it was very early Sunday morning. It was Saturday night. And this was just after the fight into Sunday morning. And then I, uh, I quoted, retweet quoted that today, saying some of you are missing the point of my tweet. I'll talk about this on my show later today, but Floyd didn't have to fight Canelo at all. However, he had the foresight to see that the Mexican was going to be the guy after he retired. Canelo's name on his resume has aged very well. So as you see, again, over 500 likes. Most people liked this, but there are quote tweets where people were you know, bashing the hell out of me and saying all kinds of stuff. Well, why do you want him to fight? That's not what I was saying, guys. Now, Floyd had a six-fight deal with CBS slash Showtime, right? And four of those fights lost money, heavily lost money. But the Pacquiao fight and the Canelo fight, the money they made in those two, mostly the Pacquiao fight, paid for the whole contract, all right? So it all it all came full circle. 
But you notice he didn't fight Pacquiao. The Pacquiao fight was the fifth fight. And then Andre Berto was the sixth fight. He didn't fight Canelo in the sixth fight. <laughs> he didn't fight Canelo in the fourth fight, right? He fought Canelo earlier in that contract because he knew I'm going to get this dude now. And this is me giving Floyd credit while also just speaking the truth about him in a critical manner at the same time. Floyd was the best matchmaker in boxing history, at least in the last 50 plus years. All right. Uh, maybe not the best all time, but he's certainly in the top five. He was a better matchmaker than he was a fighter. I'm going to say that without even blinking. That's the truth. And Floyd, when he picked Canelo, and some of you will say, well, it was Canelo that called him out. Grow up. It was like, do you really think Ricky Hatton calling out Floyd, that, that that's really how that fight came together? You don't think somebody in Floyd's team talked to Ricky and got some things going behind the scenes? And it's the same thing with Canelo. Grow up. Stop being so naive. Okay? Who was the man at that time? Floyd. Stop telling me Canelo called out Floyd and he's the one who made the fight. Stop. It was Floyd. Floyd didn't fight anybody he didn't want to. Everything was scripted and planned out well in advance, including the Pacquiao fight, okay? So he fought Canelo when he did, because even Canelo, two years after Floyd fought him, would have been a much, much tougher fight. Remember when Canelo fought Lara, and I thought Canelo edged that one out, but even that level of Canelo was growing and learning and developing, and Floyd fighting Canelo when he did. It, 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 Floyd could have retired without ever fighting Canelo. He could have said, man, he's too young. He's too big. Uh, I'm in the generation before him. And people wouldn't have cared. They honestly wouldn't have. People wanted to see him fight Pacquiao more than anything. It's like right now, people want to see Spence fight Crawford, not uh, Ennis or, or, or Ortiz. They want to see him fight Crawford, right? Because those are different generations. So Floyd was like, dude, he could see it. Him and his team, the people he has around him, could see Canelo's going to be the guy. After I retire and I'm gone, after Manny retires, the new guy is going to be Canelo. And we're going to go ahead and pass this torch. I'm still going to beat him and tap his ass, but we're going to pass this torch now. And when he's the guy five, six, seven years down the road, 10, 20 years down the road, he's in the Hall of Fame. I'm the guy that beat him. And I shut him out 12 rounds to zero. One, 120, 108, 119, 109. Those are the scores. Those are the reasonable scores for that fight between Floyd and Canelo. That's what I was saying in my tweet. Now, there's a character limit on Twitter. I can't say all that in one motherfucking tweet. So some of you guys are like, well, why didn't you include this? Include that. Because there's a character limit. Okay. So if you follow me and you know, my, I guess, uh, point of view on things, my worldview, my, my sensibility, then, which most of you guys that saw the tweet, you follow me, you knew what I was saying and what I was not saying, but some of you guys out there that don't, yeah, it's going to trigger you because you're going to, you're going to look at that and interject your own stuff that comes from your own worldview, your own biases without even realizing it. So yeah, uh, in a way that tweet was somewhat being critical of Floyd, but in a way it was also praising Floyd for being really, really smart at business. And that win over Canelo, I don't even rate that as a top five win for Floyd. It wasn't that impressive to me that when he beat Canelo in the way he did. But as far as name recognition and everything else, 10, 20 years down the road, that's probably going to be seen as Floyd's best win. That's why I was saying 
his genius for fighting Canelo when he did. It's pretty simple, guys. Pretty simple and basic. Super Chat Pledge from Feeling Dangerous 113. He says, the first big boxing event I watched with a big crowd. It was awesome. Thanks for the suggestion from last week. Appreciate that, Feeling Dangerous. And, of course, he's talking about Canelo Saunders. Yeah, man, that that atmosphere was awesome. I wish I could have been there. I just can't get to any shows this month. I got a lot going on. Uh at my house and with my family and stuff. Ray Valero in the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, just supporting. Great show, Mike. I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. Deed3440 in the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, honestly, Billy Joe Saunders wasn't going to make it through the ninth. Absolutely. And that's another thing I want to get to the fight. I guess, you know, let, let's just get into that because that, that's a great comment, dude. And I completely agree with you uh, as things were. In that um, that uh, eighth round, or at the end of the eighth round, the writing was on the freaking wall. So we might as well get right into this. And then, guys, I'll open up the phones here in a little bit. But let me just plow through this. Um, my phones went down. I'll get them back up. You guys might have to listen to me dial the numbers. But just um, hang on one second, okay? Let me get through this fight review. So Saturday, May 8th at AT&T Stadium in Arlington, Texas, Matchroom on the zone put on a big, big show. It was a big commercial success. Friend to the show, Jim Boone, the best ticket broker in the business. He was working that show. And I talked to him over the weekend, just messaged him a few times. Hey, man, how's it going? What's it looking like? And he told me, he was like, dude, this is a monster. This show is a monster. So he was eating well off the show. Everybody involved was. It was a show that, a card that really, really broke through. Um, I saw... I saw uh, Barstool Sports tweeting about it. I, I heard guys that normally don't talk about boxing talking about it. So it definitely broke through. 73,000, I think the number was 73,126 tickets sold. And Eddie Hearn don't pay per venues, at least not here in the States. All those tickets were sold. And when it comes to you know crowd numbers and stuff, you guys know that I always – uh, I, I talk to my people and I ask them, hey, man, is this really selling or not? I talk to ticket broker friends. That number's legit. This thing did 70,000 uh, tickets. And when you think about it, Billy Joe Saunders is not a name. Nobody knows. Casual sports fans have no idea who the hell Billy Joe Saunders is. So for Canelo to do a number like that against a guy like Saunders in Texas right now, that's pretty damn impressive. That's really, really impressive. Uh, real quick, in the co-main, Elwin Soto, KO9 win over Katsunari Takayama. Uh, Takayama was tough. The old man came to win, but uh, he was just a step behind the entire fight. It was getting touched up. Stoppage was premature. People didn't like the stoppage. I think that was Lawrence Cole. You know, insert your Lawrence Cole joke here. Uh, but the writing was on the wall, and the winner, it, it was an entertaining fight, but Soto was winning that fight. He was going to go on to win it. Uh, why, why prolong it? I was fine with the stoppage. Yes, it was premature, but I was fine with it. So Soto defends his um, junior flyweight title. And that's pretty much it for the undercard. There was a couple of crazy, weird, wacky things that happened in some of the undercard fights. If you guys want to talk about that, we can. But for me, uh, I just thought it was an incredibly weak card. This was all about the main event. So let's talk about it. All right. I talked about in the uh, preview last week that this was uh, for, for Canelo fighting Saunders, this was the first high-level southpaw he had fought since 2014 when he fought Lara. But I also mentioned that Lara, I feel, is a better fighter than Saunders, even today. If Lara were to fight Saunders, I'd pick, La well, they're too far apart in weight, maybe, 
So maybe if you got Saunders down to 160 or did some sort of catch weight, I'd probably pick Lara still. I just think he's a better fighter. Uh, but Saunders, who even knows if he'll fight again, which we'll talk about in a second here. But Lara has got longer arms than Saunders, better fighter, and he just better technically, uh, better, I think, defensively. Although Saunders did a very good job uh, for a few rounds there. But I just thought that you would see improvements from Canelo from that fight with Lara to now. And there were several technical improvements. So um, one thing that Canelo did very well in this fight, uh, and by the way, I should mention this, through eight rounds, I had it scored 77-75 or five rounds to three for Canelo. The three rounds you could give Saunders were five, six, and seven. People were giving Saunders some early rounds, and I thought that uh, that was misguided. So early on in the first four rounds, Saunders did a couple of decent things. He landed a couple of shots, but it was nothing that was changing the fight. It was nothing that controlled the fight. It didn't stop Canelo in his tracks. He wasn't forcing Canelo to reset. He wasn't snapping his head back. He wasn't turning him. None of that. It was Canelo coming forward and stalking, and Canelo wasn't doing much more than Saunders. It's not like he was dominating those first four rounds, but he was doing just enough, and he was landing hard body shots. So the one or two pity-pat jabs that Saunders would land, I thought Canelo's hard body punches, some of them were blocked, but the ones that got through, even the ones that were partially blocked, they moved Saunders. They pushed him back. They forced Saunders to reset. They forced Saunders to turn out, to pivot out, reset, and then come forward again. That Saunders wasn't doing that to Canelo. So I'm not saying those first four rounds were crazy dominant, nothing like that. But there was enough that Canelo was doing to win those rounds, in my opinion. Now, five, six, seven. That's where Saunders was landing in some combination. He would land two, three punches within a sequence instead of one punch at a time. It might not be a, a three-piece, boom, 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 but it might be one shot, then a move, then another shot, two moves, and another shot, something like that, where it was three punches within a sequence of events, right? He was doing that, and it was stopping Canelo in his tracks. It was forcing Canelo to reset. He actually backed Canelo up a couple times. He got Canelo up on the ropes, and he snapped his head back a couple times. So those three rounds I gave to Saunders, I thought those were the rounds you could give him. And then the eighth round happened. A lot of people thought, oh, man, well, Canelo just landed a lucky uppercut. Oh, finally connected on something. You got you to gotta just land. If you keep throwing, you'll eventually land something, right? Wrong. That's, that's the wrong way to look at this. Canelo is setting up that uppercut from the first round. It took him seven and a half rounds to cut the distance down and get the right angle to get his spacing and his feet right to land the shot. And if you look, what happened is in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round, Canelo started playing, uh, maybe playing possum a little bit and trying to get Saunders to overcommit, maybe let him feel a little overconfident to come forward. And what happened in that sequence in the eighth round? Saunders threw, I want to say it was a, a lead right, because he's a southpaw, right hook and missed. And instead of Canelo rolling with it or, or blocking it, he just backed up, right? He pulled back, and that way his feet were still in position. His body was still in position. And all he had to do when he came, he pulled back, when he came back, that right uppercut was there. And Saunders incorrectly moved right down into the uppercut. So if you look at the, the punch in slow motion, Saunders not only misses, when he missed, <clears throat> he should have got his left hand up, 
and, and got and protected his head. Should have got his left hand up and pushed off on Canelo. Should have got his his head, Saunders' head, over on Canelo's left shoulder, right? And then pushed off with the left hand or cover up with the left hand, push off with the right hand and pivot out. He didn't do any of those things. He incorrectly stayed right there, right in front of Canelo after missing that shot and bent straight down at the waist. And his head is literally smashed his face into Canelo's fist. Canelo's uppercut didn't go higher. It went just a little higher than his waist. It's not like the uppercut shot way up past his chest or shoulders. It didn't even get up that high. The punch had such an impact, not only because Canelo did throw it with great torque and leverage, and he's become very good at those those hooks, those uppercuts, those 45s. He really puts his back into it, his legs. He gets proper turnover on them. But the punch had a, a greater impact than it normally would have had because Saunders moved his face right into it. So it was just as much Saunders being overconfident and overcommitting and falling for Canelo's trap as it was Canelo landing the perfect punch. I think people are giving, uh, they, they should give Canelo credit, let me be clear, but they're missing that one half of the equation there. They're focusing on this beautiful punch that Canelo threw, and it was. It was a beautiful pullback counter uh, right uppercut. But it was also a massive technical error by Saunders to overcommit and fall right into it. And that's why it crushed his orbital bone. It, it wasn't just the angle and everything else. It was Saunders' fundamental flaws. So that punch had been set up for several rounds. And I saw a handful of you people uh, out there on Twitter and um, Instagram saying, well, man, Canelo's lucky that that injury happened because, man, Saunders was on his way. He figured Canelo out. And without that lucky punch, I don't know, guys. He, I think he wins that fight. What the fuck were you watching? Canelo, man, that fight was over. Even without the eye injury, okay, without the eye injury, Canelo had found that distance. He had the, the shots that were missing in the first, second, third round were now landing. And here's something Canelo has become very, very good at. What he does when he throws those shots from underneath, right? Whether it's a right or a left, whether it's an uppercut, a hook, or a 45, which is a combo of the two. What he will do is, it's almost like, I'm going to make a baseball reference here. Uh, a baseball pitcher. It's all about the windup, right? It's about the windup when you're coming back before you throw the ball, because that's where the batter is trying to time you as a pitcher. So the batter's trying to figure out, is there a changeup coming, a curveball, a fastball, a slider, a breaking ball? What's coming at me, a knuckleball? So what a pitcher has to do is make every punch look the same during the windup. He has to do the same windup, whether he's throwing a changeup at you that's coming at you at 70 miles an hour or he's throwing a 100-mile-per-hour heater at you. It's got to look the same so that the batter can't do anything until the ball is already moving. Then they have to make a split-second judgment, right? And that's what Canelo does with his punches now. He's not given enough credit for that. So what he'll do is, whether he's throwing a hook, an uppercut of 45, it all looks the same. And it's all coming from underneath, right? And then what he will do is once the taller fighter starts to lower their arms and starts to make adjustments and either lean to the side or straight down in the case of Saunders, then Canelo just starts bringing those underneath punches, throws them the same way, but he starts looping them over the top. So it looks the same. 
And you think, dude, is this a hook coming at me? Is this an uppercut? Oh, shit, it's an overhand right. You you don't know what's coming at you because he he disguises it so well. And he sets you up with feints. Canelo just used to do that that jab feint, that pa, pa, that everyone does, right? Where you step and you pump that little jab out. Everyone does that same feint. What he does now is he does feints with his feet, with his hips. He'll do a little shimmy down, a little shoulder feint, right? And he'll get down here and then shoot a right hand. He'll get down here and shoot a left hand. He's very good at all these different kinds of feints. And then when you're disguising the punch to where you can't tell, is this coming over the top? Is it coming from underneath? Is this a hook, an uppercut? You know, also, if I stand right in front of you, okay, and I throw a looping overhand right, maybe it's going to land right here in the corner of the temple. But I could throw that same shot. But if I just take a little half step, if I touch you with something and take a little half step to my left and shoot it, it's going to hit you in the forehead, right? Or I can lean into it and hit you right in the chin. So he's very good at setting up shots with his feet. Canelo does all these subtle little offensive things. And he was setting all that up in the first half of the fight. And if you guys really, really watch that, oh, I got to kick this guy out of the chat. He's just posting a middle finger over and over and over. Well, fuck you too. Goodbye. Whoever, I probably an alt account from one of the five guys who can't let it go has some issue with me. But um, there was just a beautiful job setting things up from Canelo Alvarez. And I don't think he's given enough credit as, as a guy that can do that, as a guy that has that kind of science in him. You know what I'm saying? He's worked on that for years. It's something he's really, really developed. John Uden in a chat says, in a chat, says, because Canelo wasn't absolutely battering BGS early, I think people convinced themselves BGS was doing a lot more than he actually was. Exactly, John. Slow clap for you, brother. Slow clap. That's exactly what it was, man. People, I always say this, right? People, they'll look at a fighter that's doing better than they thought he was going to do. And so they're like, oh, man, I thought he'd, he'd look like shit. I, I didn't think he'd be doing this good. I'm going to give him the round. It was kind of the same way with Ruiz and Ariola. Ariola won a couple rounds early on, but after about the fourth, fifth round, it was all Ruiz in that fight. So when Ariola complained and said, you know, these scorecards suck, I thought he won two or three rounds. And that's pretty much what we were going to see here in this fight, even without the injury. I really believe that. I thought that Canelo had found the distance, he had found the angle, and he he had hit, he had got Saunders with an uppercut, a counter uppercut that Saunders moved into. So what, what would happen now if Saunders was like, well, I didn't like that uppercut. I'm going to pull back. I want to, I want to get off that uppercut and pull back. All Canelo's going to do is loop that punch up top. And it's going to, Saunders would have moved right into that. Oh, well, I'm going to lean to the side. Okay. Canelo's going to take a step to his side and, and shoot that shot and, and connect with it. At that point, guys, I'm telling you, fight was over. So, um, Okay, real quick. Well, you know what? I was going to say, where, do, where does each guy go from here? But I want to talk really quickly about uh, punch numbers because I know you guys love them uh, because it matters in this fight. There's a lot of you out there that really had Saunders ahead, and I, I don't know what fight you were watching, okay? And look, you're talking to a guy that has gone on record dissing a lot of Canelo Alvarez scorecards, okay? I've put my job on the line doing that shit, all right? You guys remember Canelo Triple G, all right? And uh, the one judge had Canelo Mayweather a draw, which is insane. That was pretty much a shutout. So I'm not saying Canelo hasn't benefited from 
very, very advantageous scoring in his favor. Okay. I'm not saying that. Okay. He has, but I thought these scorecards were good. I think two judges had it four, uh, six rounds to two and one judge had it five rounds to three. I thought the six, two was a little wide. I scored it five rounds to three, but six to two wasn't out of the realm of possibility. But anyway, Canelo landed 39 body punches, most of them hard body punches, not jabs, but pretty hard shots. Saunders, six. Okay. Canelo landed 53% of his power punches for the entire fight. 53% of his power punches, not just the eighth round, the whole fight. So I think uh, Canelo outlanded Saunders in both total punches and power punches in the first, second, third, fourth, and eighth rounds. Saunders landed more, or at least landed even amount in the fifth, sixth, and seventh. And you don't score fights with punch numbers. Just putting it out there, guys, because it does add some insight. Okay, let's have some real talk on play, um, Caleb Plant. Real Well, f- before that, Billy Joe Saunders. Does he ever fight again? I don't know. I think he will, but he's a fighter. He's been doing this his whole life. He's going to want to fight again. Does he ever fight on the big stage at the highest level ever again? No. And because of the way he's conducted himself and talked so much shit and everything else for all, all these years, I, I, he's probably going to be remembered for this fight. He's probably going to be remembered for getting busted up and finding a way out of the ring without facing up to the media, facing up to the fans. And some of you guys didn't like my take on this because you were like, why would he stay there? Why would he stay in the ring when everyone's just going to boo at him? Well, dude, take your medicine. In my opinion, you talk shit. Stand there and take it. You know it's coming. And you could get everybody booing at you. You could get everybody clapping at you in 30 seconds if you stand up there and say, listen, this man's a great fighter. I talk trash coming in. That was me just trying to build up and promote the fight. I respect this man. He's the best fighter in the world. You know, I I gave it my best. I can't see out of my eye. I'm going to go straight to the hospital. I just wanted to stay here in the ring. I'm in a lot of pain and let you guys know what's up. And, you know, I'm a warrior. If I could have fought on, I would have, but there was no point. I can't see out of my eye, and I, I don't want to go blind over this. I respect Canelo. I respect his fans. He's the best fighter in the world, and I give him full credit for this win. I'm out. Boom. All those people booing at you are suddenly clapping. And the people that continued booing, they're assholes. Pull a Maurice Hooker and say, fuck y'all. That was, that was awesome from Maurice Hooker when he did that. Because those people booing him were dicks. They had no right to boo him uh, in his last fight when he legitimately hurt his hand. Uh, okay. So that's real talk on Billy Joe Saunders. Real talk on Caleb Plant, because he's the next guy, right? And I tweeted, I tweeted a poll, and I think like 1,500 people voted. And most of you, it, it, it's like 60-40, but most of you feel that the fight between Canelo and Plant won't happen. And I tweeted a, a poll, I, I said something, or I asked something like, uh, will PBC block the fight between Canelo and, um, and Plant? All right, now, I don't know if they will, but I do know if they make the fight, it's going to have to be on Fox, it's going to have to be on pay-per-view. And Caleb Plant is going to get paid way more than he deserves I think he'll probably do slightly better than Billy Joe Saunders because I just think he's a little more durable and he won't make the technical mistake of bending right down into a punch. Um, I think he's a little sturdier and stronger and more athletic than Saunders. Although Saunders probably has a little more natural flow to him as a fighter. 
Uh, I think that Plant is a little stronger, hits a little bit harder, just a naturally stronger, sturdier guy. I think he'll do a little better, but it's going to be a 117, 111, 116, 112 kind of fight if and when they do fight. Here's the one thing I will give Plant and his people credit for. They have turned down multiple offers from Canelo before. They've turned down offers for several fights. But his management saw what Canelo and his team are doing, and they said, hey, man, sit back. Just sit back, sit in your ass. Here's a little spending money. Sit back. You just got married. Enjoy that, you know, your, your new life, your new house out there in Vegas, and, and, and just relax because Canelo's going to beat all these dudes and get all these titles, and you're going to be the last man standing. And he is. So now here's what's going to happen if the fight takes place, which is a big if. If the fight takes place, it'll go Fox pay-per-view, and Plant will get more money than Callum Smith got. He'll get more money than Billy Joe Saunders got. So he'll get more money, maybe maybe more money than both of them combined because it's going to pay-per-view. Now, his side might lose money on the deal, but he doesn't give a shit. He's going to get paid. So in, in his sense, that was pretty good business. I got to give it to Caleb Plant. He will get a max payday here. Also, he gets to watch the Canelo fights with Callum Smith and with Billy Joe Saunders and see what Canelo did in those fights and see the little bit of success Billy Joe Saunders had. He could go back and watch the two Triple G fights with Canelo and, and all the success that Golovkin had, winning more than half of the 24 rounds that they shared. And he can try to emulate some of that in his training, in his sparring, and take all that knowledge, all that historical reference that he can soak in watching all those fights, particularly the Saunders fight, and he can take that into the ring. And so that gives him an added benefit that Saunders and, and Smith didn't have as much as he will have. So I will give Plant, PBC, and Plant's management credit there. However, I think he's absolutely going to get manhandled by Canelo. I just think Canelo is on a completely different level. He's the number one fighter in the world, pound for pound. Here's some real talk on Canelo. Number one fighter in the world right now, pound for pound. He's doing something that no other fighter is doing in the sport. He's being active. This was, what, his third fight in six months? He might only fight once more this year because the people, they're going to make it very difficult to Caleb Plant fight. So that might keep Canelo on the bench until the end of the year. But who knows? Maybe he gets in the ring toward the end of the summer and then fights Plant at the very end of the year. I tend to doubt it. I think he's going to fight Plant in September. And if he gets out of that with no no injuries or anything, maybe he gets in the ring one more time in December. But even if he doesn't, fighting four times in a calendar year, no other big superstar fighter is doing that right now. Not even any young champion. Like, no one's doing it. All the momentum that some of these younger guys got, like Tiafima Lopez, they pretty much crushed it by not being as active. So Canelo deserves tremendous credit for all that. But let's be honest about something. All this talk suddenly about, I want to unify this division. I want to clean out the division because this is history. No one's done this, right? You didn't give a shit about unifying 160. You didn't give a shit about unifying 154. You fought at 155 to kind of be in the middle of both of those divisions for a while. You threw your 160 WBC in the trash, that title. That's the most coveted belt if you're a Mexican fighter, by the way, right? The WBC belt outweighs all the other belts combined if you're a Mexican fighter. You threw that shit in the trash to not fight Gennady Golovkin in his prime. 
right? You didn't give a shit about unifying all the belts there at, at middleweight or at junior middleweight. But now suddenly you want to unify all the belts at 168. Why? I think it's probably two things. For starters, this isn't a very strong division. It's pretty weak. Now, some have compared it to the 140-pound division that Terrence Crawford unified. It's probably maybe a little better than that, just a little bit, but not much. It's a pretty weak division. It's pretty much on par with the 140 division uh, Crawford unified, maybe slightly better. But that's the biggest reason. I also think this. Remember when Canelo was a promotional free agent, right? And, of course, there's people throwing offers and everything. The one thing Eddie Hearn could offer is he, I think he had an idea. Like, look, look, dude, we can go to 168, and we can unify all these titles. We can beat all these guys. I promote several of them. Uh, I, I have the platform over in the U.K. I can make these big events. And that can expand your profile over there. It's going to bring more money over from that market into your pocket. And we can clean up this division, dude. And I think that's the business plan that Sir Eddie, who is crushing every other promoter so far in 2021, came to Canelo with. And I think Canelo said, I like that. I like that idea. Let's do it. And I think that's what's going on right now. So while I give Canelo Alvarez tremendous credit for cleaning out that division. Okay. And, and being the thing that impresses me the most is he's being active. I don't give a shit if you're not fighting future hall of famers, every fight, as long as you're being active, if you're fighting three, four, five times a year. I don't care if a couple of them are Avni Yildirim's and Callum Smith's. I really don't care. I don't even care if you're trying to market this as, you know, I'm, I'm cleaning out the division and unifying all the titles when you never gave a flying fuck about doing that at 154 or 160. Right. I, I've been around the business long enough to understand what this really is. I just respect that he's getting in there, being active, and putting on shows, man. He fought in Florida earlier this year. He just fought in Texas. He's, you know, He hasn't been going. Look at what Top Rank is doing right now with the Josh Taylor-Jose Ramirez fight. That's going to be in front of 1,200 people. Only about two or 300 of them are actual fans who are actually able to buy tickets. The other thousand or so are casino whales and degenerate gamblers that the casino buy is bringing in, okay, with these packages for these whales that they're trying to eat off of. Um, that, that The event was so mishandled, and Canelo just fought in front of 73,000 people. And then in Florida, I think it was like 15,000 people. And it would have been many, many more if there weren't all the COVID restrictions still going on there at the time that matchroom boxing was adhering to. So he's putting on real events, dude. And he, he's building up the sport. He's, he's building up um, fans. He's creating moments. I've talked to several of you, probably several dozen of you on Facebook, text, Twitter DMs, Instagram DMs that were at that event this Saturday. And I know several of you brought your kids. I know a couple of you guys Went there with your kids, your wife. Some of you went there like with your dad. So a couple uh, people I saw were there with like grandkids and stuff. Those are memories. Those are events you guys are going to be talking about with your family members and your friends and your coworkers for years. That's the kind of stuff I really care about in this sport. Because those are the things that 
transcend pay-per-view buy numbers per split numbers you know all this bullshit that managers argue about those things creating events that's what people remember and talk about decades later that's what builds this sport and adds to the the lore of this sport that's what ties to people like this that's what ties back to great fighters like sugar ray robinson and so many others Marvin Hagler. You know what I'm saying? Canelo is putting himself in this sort of company by building these sort of events. Now, am I putting him on the level of those fighters? No, but he's building up these events. And the other promoters right now, the other platforms, I'm looking at the guys coming up and I'm asking who out of any of these guys is going to be anywhere near where Canelo is right now, five years from now. Who? Don't tell me Ryan Garcia. I don't know what's going on with him. Don't tell me Jake Paul. <laughs> Please don't tell me Jake Paul. I, I just don't know, guys. I don't know. Who's the next dude? Because I, I don't know, man. But right now, Canelo is, is doing something pretty special. So enjoy it while you got it. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, let's be honest about who he's fighting. And the, the attitude he has now that he sure didn't have five, six years ago. I give him credit, but I also keep it real. I'm not hating. I'm just telling the full story, okay? Because the story is some good, some bad, some in the middle. That's how human beings are built. All right. Um, let's see here. You guys are going to have to bear with me as I set up my... Um, phones because i figure a few of you guys might want to call in i'll be going for an hour though i mean maybe i should just maybe we should just not do callers this week uh maybe i could just do a uh a chat video a live video on my channel and have some callers on there you know what maybe that's just what we'll do because my phones are being stupid today don't you just love technology it's great all right let's get into this review well before we do that a couple of comments. Izzy Mazon says, he did quit you, dummy. I love how everyone has to call me a dummy just because they disagree with my point. Before the fight, he was saying, I'll never quit for a broken eye. They'll have to carry me out. Blah, blah, blah. Effort loser. You don't know what you're talking about. Dude, you're taking this way too seriously, Izzy. You're taking it too seriously, brother. Number one, I mentioned all that shit you just mentioned. And that's why I said, it's really, really bad optics. Walk it out of the ring. For those of you who are just Getting on here, I'm going to show this one more time for people like Izzy. This tweet right here, I'm going to repeat this. Quite reasonable for a legitimately injured fighter to retire from a bout. I didn't see a quit. I saw a guy who was injured retire, okay? The tweet continues. However, BJS should have remained in the ring given a post-fight interview. Running out the way he did, especially after all the shit talk and criticism of other fighters, was a bad look. There you go, Izzy. Are you happy? Am I still a dummy? Am I still a dummy? John in the chat says, one thing Plant has in common with BJS is that he hasn't fought the opposition to prepare him for Canelo. Not getting that with, not getting that with Feigen Boots and Mike Subway Eat Fresh Lee. You know what? I'm going to have to give John the applause here because that's another great comment. I just, he's right. That's the problem. 
That's that's this generation, and that's that's who Canelo's fighting right now. He's fighting guys that build up resumes, pad records, and and try to hold out to get the big payday with Canelo. And they get their shit pushed in by Canelo. They get their payday, but say what you will about. Again, I'm going to go to Gennady Golovkin. I know, I know. You guys are getting so mad. You guys are getting so mad. But Golovkin fought some guys before Canelo. And when it was time to fight Canelo, he showed up and had two really, really great fights with them. And those fights are going to age very, very well because I don't know if Canelo is going to lose again, guys. Mayweather's win over him to the untrained eye to people without boxing, you know, historical boxing knowledge, that is going to look very, very good. But on Golovkin's side, uh, people are going to watch those fights on YouTube years from now and be like, damn, dude, Canelo blasted out all these guys through the remainder of his career. But there was this dude from Kazakhstan. I I think he might've beat him in that first fight. So that's going to age well for him anyway. Okay. Preview. Not a whole lot to preview guys. Friday, May 14th, there's a UFC Fight Pass card from Murfreesboro, Tennessee, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that that is a suburb of Nashville, fighting, uh, featuring Heather Hardy, and there's an undefeated prospect from Caleb Plant's hometown, Tyler Tomlin. He's a 140-pounder, 21 years old, 10-0. He's on that card, too. And then Saturday, May 15th, Manchester, England, uh, Matchroom to Zone card. Terry Harper was supposed to defend, or I'm sorry, unify 130-pound titles with Han Mi Choi, but um, Terry got injured. She injured her hand, sparring, so she had to pull out of that fight. And now Joshua Buatzi, I I believe, was bumped up to the main event, fighting an undefeated Frenchman with a terrible resume. So Boatsy's going to get a big win here in a showcase fight. Uh, so that card kind of got busted. And then PBC on Showtime, TGB Promotions at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. Louis Neri and Brandon Figueroa fighting in a 122-pound or junior featherweight title bout. Now, they're calling this a unification bout, but Brandon Figueroa has one of the 800 WBA titles in that division. Uh, Akhmedailev. He is the real WBA champ and a unified title holder in that division. So I don't re- warrant this as a uh, as a unification fight. And at ring, we do not recognize any of the WBA titles except for the super title. So we don't recognize this as a unification fight. Also on this card, Danny Roman, very, very good fighter, former title holder himself. And a uh, good-looking prospect, Javier Martinez, is on this card. So not the greatest action, not the greatest cards, but you guys got some stuff to check out. But next week we will be previewing a big, big fight. The fight I'm most excited about, although uh, I'm really pissed off that uh, the way they're promoting that fight between Taylor and um, Ramirez, man, super chat pledge from J and M. Thank you so much. He says the whole BGS pre fight ring controversy Soured the the entire event for me personally. I'm a newly converted SCA fan now, thanks to the immature BJS Circus Act. Thanks, Mike. So SCA, Saul Canelo Alvarez. Uh, Yeah, look, man, I think this weekend, because of the way both men handled this event, Saunders was talking a lot of shit, and Canelo kind of brushed it off, right? And then during the fight, Saunders had some success, but Canelo closed the show. And then after the fight, 
Canelo really opened up, showed his personality, spoke in English, destroyed Demetrius Andre in the post-fight presser. And Saunders hasn't said anything. Now, he, he he got surgery today in Texas. I should mention that. So I understand that he'll be a little bit Twitter dark for a while. But Billy Joe Saunders has never been a guy who's been quiet on social media or been afraid to give his opinion about things, including other fighters, including other fighters who are his countrymen. So for him to disappear for 48 hours, I get that he's having surgery. Dude, post a selfie at the hospital. We've seen fighters do this a million times, right? Ebony Bridges just fought with a horribly busted eye. Finished the fight. That was her decision, okay? Finished the fight. Made social media posts in the days after explaining what was going on. And I think it actually helped her brand even more. Saunders hasn't done any of that. And when you when you go in talking so much trash and you don't back it up in the ring and then you don't back it up, uh, you don't show that humility afterwards. It's just, it, it's it's a bad mix, brother. I'm not trying to beat up on Saunders, but look, guys, again, if we're going to criticize other fighters for the shenanigans that they pull, we got to be fair. And some of you are trying to protect Saunders here. He's a big boy. He made this bed. He's got a lie in it now. So there's a lot of people out there, I think, that have J&M's same attitude where they became a Canelo fan after this weekend and they weren't one. And maybe they were a Billy Joe Saunders fan coming in or they were at least checking him out. And now they don't have the best opinion of him. So and that's all on Saunders. Now, look, he could he could correct all this. He can uh, he, he can change his his image with the way he handles things after all this. So the future is unclear. It's unwritten. And we'll see what he does from here on out. All right, a couple more comments. And then, uh, oh, you know what? Yeah, I, I'd like, okay, I'm going to bring this up. Um, one foot out the door says, uh, Chris Mannix is horrible on the zone, play-by-play and scoring. Okay, Chris Mannix has been giving, getting uh, a lot of heat this weekend. Um, so I wasn't the only one getting beat up on social media. But by the way, I really quickly, I have to mention, there was one guy on Instagram that has two accounts and uh, he saved screen my tweet and made it his story on Instagram, tagged me. Then he posted it on his Instagram profile, tagged me, tagged me in several comments that he made about it to, with other people, DM'd me and then posted it from a, a separate, a second account, tagged me. Dude, tagged me in like six or seven fucking posts and comments. How obsessive are you going to get, bro? When you get to that point, you're going to get blocked. You're going to get reported because that's obsessive. I only have one life to live. I can't spend it looking at all your stupid, all the notifications from you. Okay. Uh, and he was just one of, I, I got like over a hundred of them this weekend. It was crazy. But Chris Maddox is getting thousands of them. I mean, people are beating the shit out of the guy. He, that was not a good scorecard from Chris Maddox. And I got nothing against Chris. Look, we all have off nights, but that scorecard was Bad, dude. That was a really, really bad scorecard. I actually thought Carl Frotch and Roy Jones, uh, both of those guys, seeing them on that broadcast, that was pretty great. They both did a very good job. They did better than Mannix or Sergio. And again, I got nothing against those guys. I really, really don't. But I just thought that uh, Carl did a really good job. I thought that Roy Jones, he's always fun to see him on there. I I love Roy. So I thought they really did good. (laughs) <laughs> he might be attracted to you. Hey, you never know, man. You never know. There, there was guys talking in the comments of this thing, uh, in his little post, and they were like, you know, I, I want to fly over there and spar him. And I'll, 
Like, do really? Are you that mad at my post? Like, do you even know Billy Joe Saunders? You know, you know, like, like, why are you defending him to that extent, dude? That's like these Deontay Wilder guys on YouTube. Like, that's just a little obsessive, bro. Really, really obsessive. Manny Fresh says BJS won two rounds. That's it. I, you, I thought you could have gave him three. You could have gave him three. But no more than that. Definitely no more than that. Mandeli says, I think that dude li- likes your weight loss, Mike. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Chris Bergen in the chat says, let these guys spar you. Hey, man, if they want to come over here and spar, that's fine. I mean, whatever, man. Let's see here. John Newman says, uh, the ring digital, y'all must have forgot. Roy's always good. Yeah, man, Roy's awesome. If Roy is on any broadcast, the level of the broadcast, instantly better. He's just he's just a great personality. He's a great guy. And he, he does know a thing or two about boxing. You know, he was pretty good when he was fighting. Pretty good. <clears throat> Joe Horizon, scorecards have the same relevance as the ring size. I guess that's true. The ring size didn't matter. The scorecards didn't matter because Canelo broke that man's face. John Hughes says Saunders did not have the firepower to compete. Yeah, that's a good point. Look, again, I think um, a lot of people were giving rounds to Saunders because he did better than they thought he would. Or he he did better than Avni Yildirim did. He did better than Callum Smith did. That doesn't mean he's winning the damn round. The guy, I just, I feel that for me, okay, because I'm a physical reactor, I'm a physical learner. The fact that I have done some training and I've done some sparring for me helps me understand a little bit better what I'm watching when I'm watching a fight. I'm not saying it makes me an expert. I'm not, I'm not comparing my experience with real pros or, or real amateurs, okay? I'm a novice, but the little experience I have, helps me decipher what I'm seeing. And when I was watching those early rounds, I'm like, the dude that's getting pushed back from these punches is Saunders. And yeah, he's covered up and blocking some of these body shots from Canelo, but it's still pushing him back. And he's having to pivot out and reset. And nothing Saunders is doing is bothering Canelo. He's just not, he hasn't found the range yet because uh, Saunders does have pretty good movement. But once he found that range, forget about it. The shit was over. <laughs> Disgruntled. He says, uh, did Canelo weigh 250 on fight night? He did look stocky. He did look stocky. Oh, I should bring this up. I don't want a channel in the chat. I love that name. He says, who at Ring Magazine tweeted Billy being a quitter? Okay, let me bring this up. Um, let's see. A a person who I don't even know if he's a member of the ring staff. I don't even know if he writes for us, but he's one of the people that helps out with rings social media. Okay. Um, he tweeted out, he thought he was tweeting from his personal account. He was still logged into the ring account though. So he tweeted out something like Billy quote unquote, no heart Saunders or something. I didn't see the tweet. Okay. Cause it was late at night. I had already gone to bed. But I saw the following day, Sunday morning, when I got up and checked all my messages, uh, Ring, the Ring account had done a screenshot of it. They deleted that tweet. It is a screenshot and said, uh, hey, I'm paraphrasing, you know, we're sorry about this. It was a mistake. Uh, We'll find out who did this. 
We'll take the appropriate action. Uh, we apologize. This was very unprofessional. And for the record, I agree. I think that that wasn't a good look. Uh, but some, you know, that's why when you, if you're if you're handling social media for a professional account, boy, do you got to be careful, okay, about what you're posting. So I I, I handle Ring magazines. Um, I'm one of the people that has access to and handles Ring Magazine's YouTube channel, right? You're watching this video on Ring's YouTube. I also have my own YouTube channel. I got to be extra careful before I go live because if I'm going on my channel, I might let it rip a little bit more and and have um, maybe a few more F-bombs, although I had several F-bombs on this particular episode. Uh, But, you know, I might let it rip a little bit more, let the language go and stuff like that on my personal channel. But I gotta ha- I gotta be responsible and make sure I'm not logged into Ring's channel when I'm doing that. And there's certain topics and certain things that I keep from my channel that I'm not necessarily going to bring up on Ring's channel, right? So this person made that mistake. And look, man, that's the problem with social. The thing with Twitter, the the the, the shittiest feature of Twitter, in my opinion, is that you can't edit a tweet. You can delete a tweet, but you can't edit it. Oh my God, if I could edit tweets, there are a handful, five or six tweets of mine that go back to 2015, 2016, that are constantly taken out of context by people and, and sent out there and forwarded around. And these people know what they're doing. They're doing it purposely because they have an agenda and they're trying to attack me. But if I could edit one word in the tweet or, or rephrase something, I can't tell you how many times I've tweeted something and I'm like, damn it. What do you guys will be like, Mike, you spelled this wrong or you got this name wrong or you got this date wrong. And I go effing typos. And, you know, I delete the tweet and I retweet it, you know, but sometimes um, you can, you can screw up on Twitter, you know, it's human. So uh, the guy that tweeted this, um, he calls himself, I think uh, little giant. I think he has a YouTube channel. His name's Tino. And um, on his Twitter account, I think his YouTube is little giant. And I think he owned it. I think he tweeted about it and said, look, man, I screwed up. I'm sorry. I think he made a post talk. It might've been on Instagram or something. I don't know what, where it was, but he, he, um, oh, shit. one foot out the door in the chat says ducking autocorrect. Yeah, exactly. Chris Bergen in the chat says Montero on boxing rants are legendary. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And Pietro says Montero is the goat. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate that guys. Yeah, my rants, I, I saved that for my channel. I saved that for my channel. I try not to do it, although I ranted a little bit on today's episode. But anyway, uh, for, for Tino, I think he owned it and apologized. And I think you guys need to chill and give him a pass. Um, you know, he screwed up on Twitter. It happens. Every single one of us has tweeted something that if we could go back and reword it or correct spelling or whatever it is, rephrase something, we would. Okay. So, I think everyone needs to chill. And I, I like the way that the ring editorial staff handled it by screenshotting the tweet so people could see it and saying, look, this was unprofessional. We apologize. And that's that. Nip it in the butt. And um, everybody at ring has, well, most people at ring, uh, at least on a professional basis, have shown Billy Joe Saunders respect and professionalism throughout this promotion. Even me being critical, I'm doing it in a objective, nuanced way, right? Because that's the way I do it. All right. Um, Chris says, little giant, isn't that an oxymoron? I think that's the, it's a play on words. It's a play on words. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, Constantino's his name. I don't want to channel 
uh, says, uh, Constantino has good content on YouTube. Yeah, he's a good guy. And I don't, I think he had a, a, a bad moment. He had a, a, a bad moment on Twitter. We've all been there. I'm raising my hand. I've certainly had more than a few mo- bad moments on Twitter. Okay. So let, let's all, let's all be understanding here. Trenton on Peril says, give him a pass. Yes, I concur. Give the little giant a pass. Uh, let's see. John Hughes says Usyk shouldn't be a heavyweight. He should drop to light heavy and fight Canelo. That's a huge fight. Dude, Usyk would be too much for Canelo. Just too much. Way too big. Way too big. All right, guys. That's the outro music. That means we are done. Boom. We are out. Uh, We've been going for a while. I thought this would be a short episode, man. But I sat here and rambled for almost an hour and a half. We're going really long lately. Really, really long lately. But hopefully you guys are enjoying the content, man. Show's blowing up. We're getting more and more hits every week. We're having more and more people ask about it, uh, which is awesome. So um, just keep spreading the word, man. And we'll do it again next week, guys. I'll see you at the fights.